it's the sad time of the series again because we're at the end I tried then to sing a certain rhythm and then just switched it up in the middle for some reason and it ended really really stupidly I apologize for that ridiculous <laughs> no, the, the singing effort, intro the effort is always appreciated I hope it is. Hello everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen. It is the end of the Coming of Age series today, but we have an exciting double feature in store. When was the last time we did a double feature, Janine? Oh. If you don't know off the top of your head, know, it was too it's, long it's, ago. It's been a minute, it's been a minute. But we have one today. In the Coming of Age series so far, we have done the way, way back. That was last week. We did school ties. That was the week before. And we started with, what did we start with? We started with that movie with, where there were the four girls that I've forgotten the name <laughs> now of. Now and then. Now, now and, and then. then. That was a good movie. <laughs> I liked that movie a lot. I just forgot the name of it, but that was good. We're back on female coming of age movies, Janine. Yay! Yay! My favourite. Yes, we all know you prefer those. To the I'm tired of all the awkward and also not awkward and way too into their masculinity men. I'm tired of it. I don't need it in my coming of age movies, Janine. I need soulful, deep introspection on one's own being. Which is, I, I think, is exactly what this movie and, well, both of these movies we're talking about today, I think that's what they give us. Yes, definitely. We are talking what today, Janine? We are talking My Girl and its sequel, My Girl 2. My Girl 2, the most boring name for a sequel <laughs> in the history of time. Do you think they should have added our part in there? It's, yeah, that's what my I mean. It's not even my girl part two, is it? To make it a little bit more reasonable, it's just my girl two. Why would what would you have expected some kind of like exciting subtitle? They could have called it my girl two, but spelled two t double o. Or you know, added the electric boogaloo on there. They um, could have said our girl. My girl goes to LA. They but then it, it wouldn't have then it wouldn't have fit with the other title. But also I don't I think don't this really is a big called My Girl in the first place. I guess just because it's a coming of age story about a girl. They do and the they stand by me thing, don't they? Yes, they just wanted to use that song. It's literally essential. that is why Stand By Me is called Stand By Me, because they wanted to throw that song in. <laughs> Because Stand yeah. By Me, the book, isn't called Stand By Me. No. And that's a Stephen King book. And the, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly co confident that they just called My Girl, My Girl, to so put My Girl by the Temptations on the, on, the, on the end credits, because that's exactly what they did in both movies. Yes. And it, it is not relevant <laughs> in the slightest of what's no, going on in the movie. All. I mean... Yes, the protagonist is somebody's daughter. She is therefore, I suppose, to somebody, my girl. But that's never said <laughs> remotely. 
in either movie. You sound slightly frustrated by this title. It just doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. <laughs> I just don't know why it's called My Girl. I had this with school ties, though. I mean, there was no war between ties in a school in school ties, like the yellow and black ties fighting against the red and blue ties. That's what I wanted from school ties. Oh, I want to say it's about the ties, the binders type of ties. Oh, the ties. Not the, not the actual ties. school. The bonds that <laughs> bind us together. <laughs> bonds of <laughs> discrimination. Why are you talking like the priest from the Princess Bride? <laughs> ties are what brings us <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> The need for silly titles <laughs> binds us together. 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 Peter Cook. Yes. Yes. We like Peter Cook. Anyway. We do. Regardless, I actually quite liked sp specifically this first movie, Janine. Okay. My Girl 1, as we're going to call it. My Girl 2 was good. I enjoyed it. It just didn't have as much emotional uh, kind of a heaviness, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think we got a little bit of that at the end of My Girl 2. But I little feel bit, like yes. throughout the first, it was pretty, um, it packed a pretty big punch. And it was, more, it was more of a coming of age movie, the first one. The, the, in the second one, she's already... She, she's come of age. It's more about discovering more about her mother, more about herself in that same sense, and kind of spreading her wings a little bit more. Yes. Well, the first one is very much a coming, coming of, of age. age. I'm in, an 11 in that classic year old. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much so, which is what I was obviously in the mindset for going into watching these movies. So I think that's probably why. I've latched on to the first one a little bit more. Yes. Um, but I did actually watch them like back to back. Okay. So that, I mean, that was quite a nice, almost felt like a TV show. Yeah. Like episodes. Back did it, back. did it feel like this is where this girl would be at this time in the second? Yeah. Movie? Yeah. I think the transition between the two movies is really seamless. Really. It, it makes, it seems to make total sense to me. Um, I like how they're low-key set in the 70s as well. Like, it's not made a huge deal of. Yeah, until the end throw... when they mention, and Nixon, he got re-elected. Yeah, <laughs> they just throw weird random references in every now and again, and some of the outfits and hair are a little bit... And the music. No, and the, Well, the music, yes, but the music could have realistically just been a soundtrack. It's a good yeah. soundtrack. It's a very good soundtrack. We enjoy the songs in that soundtrack. Some of them are obviously songs you've heard in every movie ever. I mean, as soon as you start hearing Bad Moon Rising in a song, you know it's a movie. Yes. I'm not, um, sure, I'm not sure I've ever heard Bad Moon Rising when it's not been in a movie. movie, like it's on the radio or something. Um, but now I'm realizing we have sandwiched, sandwiched, sandwiched. Our, sandwiched our series with the movies, with female coming of age stories that take place in the kind of the same time period. Yeah. 
We have. What is it about the early 70s and becoming a woman, Janine? Can you yeah, explain that? Is it the is it the rise of American new wave feminism in the 70s? I mean, I was being a little bit pretentious there, but it might actually be something to do with that. <laughs> Perhaps. I was being a little bit jokey there, but it, I, that might actually be a reasonable thing to suggest. Well, it actually is kind of brought up. There is a moment where Dan Aykroyd's character is about to go on a date, and he's very nervous about it because he hadn't, hasn't been on a date in like 20 years. And his brother tells him, oh, it's different now. Like, you don't have to worry about bras. <laughs> Oh, because nobody wears a bra in the early 70s. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's everybody's main concern, obviously, on, on a first date is, I wonder if my date is, is wearing, wearing a, bra. a bra. It's certainly my first thought <laughs> on the painfully rare occasion I go on any date with anybody. Good to know. You, Good to know. What are I you think. laughing about? <laughs> why? Why are you laughing at me, Janine? I don't think there's any. any so, for just that. so any future dates who listen to the show will be prepared. They'll know what you're, what you're, uh, what you're about. What, what you're looking for. They know what I'm not thinking about. Yes, I'm not focused on that. <laughs> I'm not. What's his name? Who's in every movie ever? The guy who plays Dan Aykroyd's brother. He's um, such a known face, but he's someone that you will never know. Never the name really of. know his name, Richard Mazur. Richard Mazur, I have no M -A -S -U -R. idea. M A S U R. But you have seen you this man in hundreds of movies. Yes, he's in a lot. He has a weird mustache in these movies as well. Well, in the in his, in his creepy. little uh, IMDb picture, he has a nice, nice billowy white beard, like Santa. A billowy white beard. Yes. Well, fair play. Fair play. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate a billowy white beard. Anyway, my girl, Janine. Yes. Uh, are these favorites of yours? I think I've asked this about all of these movies in this series. Are, are these two Janine, very Janine movies? Did you um, watch these and relate to the average white girl? <laughs> <laughs> Like I appreciate that you asked it like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I appreciated uh, the the accuracy of a young girl kind of coming of age. And um, but, you know, there were things I couldn't quite relate to, you know, not really having a female figure in your life to kind of help you along. I had an older sister and my mother. So, um, you know, I think that fear that Veda feels was uh, something new to me to kind of uh, be so young and live with this fear that potentially you're responsible for your mother's death to not, you know, be raised by a single father um, who yeah. maybe doesn't see you fully or doesn't kind of even pay attention to you and all of your acts of trying to get attention um, and trying to cope with things that you're going through and not having a female figure in your life to to guide you in uh, certain ways that a, a man couldn't really 100 percent you know understand so those were things that were new to me which made it an interesting movie for me to watch as a kid growing up that's the good thing I find about these kind of coming of age movies is that they are that the protagonists when the protagonists are, are quite 
niche, I suppose is the right word. You know, they're quite specific people. Yeah. That's when I become more interested in a coming of age movie. When, you know, your your protagonist doesn't feel like they're supposed to be everyone in air quotes, yeah. you know. Like I don't like that about coming of age movies. I like these coming of age movies about very, very specific kind of people who exist in the world. Absolutely. There will have there will be people who grew up, you know, with a single father and feeling responsible for not having um any female to look up to in their life maybe you know maybe you also grew up in a funeral home and are a little so you bit have this weird about relationship death. yeah about death yeah um but how little a percent of the population of the world is that who's going to watch this movie that's what i like about it is because most people cannot directly identify with what's going on which makes the parts they can identify with, I think, that much stronger from that yeah. point. But also, obviously, from my point, never having been an 11-year-old girl, <laughs> it becomes way more interesting to me when I have these stories about very specific people rather than, you know, John or Susan from down the street. Yeah, and I think it's something that can make a genre new. You know, you kind of see the same repeated things in movies of the same genre and vein. But if they can kind of distinguish themselves with a creative character choice, um, yeah, I, I think that makes it more interesting for sure. And not something Absolutely you, you can 100% relate to or that you've seen before that you've even kind of lived yourself. Because some people want to relate to things and see themselves in things, which is great. And it's a great thing movies can do for you. But other times you kind of want that insight of something that you are unfamiliar with and uh, that piques your interest. So this movie definitely does that, I think, giving this kind of creative look on a girl who is coming of age with a single father and has this weird relationship with death um, and feeling some form of responsibility for the loss of her mother um, and how she's kind of dealing with that on top of just kind of the normal phases of growing up. I mean, death's obviously a very tough thing to get your head around as a child anyway. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's a tough thing for, for anybody to get their head around at any age, depending on who you are or what you believe in, or whatever. But, you know, as a child who growing up surrounded by death, seeing death as fascinating, something to be scared of, but also something totally normal, and something that seems to just happen to other people, but also you've got this internal fear that you've caused the death of someone very close to you yeah, that's going to mess with you and it messes with Vader throughout that first movie I mean I, I find it a little bit takes me out of the movie the fact she's called Vader because there's one thing you're just thinking about throughout the whole movie <laughs> why she not got a big black mask on and be breathing like Darth Vader <laughs> well because you're the only person who says Vader like like Vader <laughs> we don't say Vader like that we say Vader <laughs> 
that only sounds weird to people who don't do the hard R like you do. Like you don't. So <laughs> Hey, you don't pronounce Darth Vader, Darth Vader. I don't say Darth Vader. No, I say Darth Vader. Er, er, so er. this girl's <laughs> name is Vader. Yes. And Darth Vader is Darth Vader. That sounds this that's the same. Vader. <laughs> you don't do the er, you do the uh like Vader. So of course that's gonna sound weird to you. Well that was all I was thinking about. You are not a hard R. -er. <laughs> no, I'm not a round R. -er. Uh, er, er, I'm a flat R. -er. Vader. I go ah. Yeah. So flat. that's why that so that's only weird to people with that dialect, I would assume. Okay, fair enough, <laughs> but that's all I was thinking. But yes, so, it is a very weird name, Veda, Veda Sultanfus. And I like that somebody's like, oh, I feel bad for you. And she's like, I like my name. So I'm like, okay, girl. <laughs> yeah, own your slightly unorthodox name. I like that. Yes. Not everybody wants a boring name. I mean, boring names are... I feel sorry for people who have a boring name. Like, I'm quite thankful I don't know that many Morgans, you know? Yeah. You know, the world isn't overpopulated with Morgans. It's like a, you know plenty, you know, in, in popular culture and what have you, you can rattle off a few. But yeah. there's not hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jack, you know? Yeah. Who's I mean... not called Jack. It took me years to get over the fact that I would never find my name on one of those little keychains that you find at a gift shop. But then I came to terms with the fact that, like, I kind of like that. Uh, yeah. That I'm unique, that my name is not generic enough to find on a gift shop keychain. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry if you are called Jack, but surely all Jacks must realize their name is or painfully John's. typical. John. John, Jack, um, David. Yeah. Uh, other ones. Let's think about some. Matthew. Even. James. James. I mean, nice names, traditional names, in some instances kind of religious names, so if you've got that sort of connection, sure. But have a bit more originality and it's not your fault you know it's not your fault yeah, if your name you, is didn't that. Name yourself. you didn't name yourself unless you did name yourself in which case you've probably got a very good reason for choosing that name if you legally change your name to that because some people like to go too overboard with their names and have it have their children's names be something offensive or be something or completely high concept um I literally saw a whole uh, video about these really insane names. Like somebody's name is S S S S T. So how would you? Say? No. Uh, it's probably pronounced like Paula or something, isn't it? It's Forest because there are four oh, S's. Oh God. <laughs> Oh, that's the most vomit-inducing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yes, or Get out it's of my face. L a l a, a dash and an a at the end. 
what what do you think her <sighs> name is? Ladasha, because there's a dash. <laughs> See, I would have just said la. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what most people would say. So yes, uh, Veda, I think in the grand scheme of naming, uh, it's it's not too terrible. <laughs> no, we like that. We, we like the uniqueness of Veda's name, and we also like the performance. Actually, who yes, is it? Yes, Anna Klumsky. Klumsky, not Chlum. No, Klumsky. it's definitely pronounced Chlum. It's Klumsky. That I'm reading it says Chlumsky. Well, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Anna Klumsky. It probably is. It probably is. The I, ch I is a you. curse sound. Unless it, unless it's in the word chair, yes, or character, Chick or chicken, <laughs> character, yes, character. Um, so she was a good character, and um, charade. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm, she I'm was a very good character. Yes, yeah, she was. She was. Uh, <laughs> I think it's been it's been a minute. It's shower. been a minute since we've kind of gone on on some fun little tangents. So you're welcome. We enjoy doing it. Um, <laughs> yes, I think she did a really good job uh, in this movie, and Macaulay Culkin as well. Um, yeah, because Macaulay Culkin's still only only young at this point. Um, he's probably well, he's a year after Home Alone, isn't it? So yeah, he's still probably the same age, 10. like ten, eleven. That's kind of the age range they are in this movie. Um. So yeah, like Veda, she's this young girl and it kind of opened with her um, kind of being a bit of a hypochondriac and just kind of making up all these yeah. things that are wrong with her, constantly going to the doctor and telling him she has all these various diseases. Some of them end up being things that people at the funeral home, the bodies that are brought in, that's what they died of. She will look at the yeah. sheet and see what they died from and then kind of spout off all these symptoms of whatever this person died from. Um, you kind of don't really understand why she's doing this. You know, she'll fake that she's she's sick or she'll fake, you know, fall on the floor and act like she's dying. Um, and then Thomas J, like her best friend, Macaulay Culkin, kind of gives a very simple explanation to the nurse at the doctor's office who constantly sees Veda because she's always going in there with these random um, symptoms that she says she has. And he kind of just explains it to her, you know, he thinks that the dead people kind of scare her. So it's a situation of if you can't beat them, join them. So, yeah. you know, if she can be like them or, you know, find a way to relate to them in some way, they won't be as scary to her. Yeah. So I liked that they had her best friend kind of simplify the explanation of why she kind of is like that. Um, and I think it's, it's also really maybe, sweet in this movie as well. Yeah. Just kind of this nerdy kid who, uh, you know, is allergic to everything and, uh, you know, it's kind of that time period where you are kind of developing crushes and things like that. And Veda does have like this huge crush on her English teacher. Um, and you don't think really Thomas J is jealous until kind of there's a certain point where he asks her if it doesn't work out with, you know, Mr. Bixler, would you consider me? And she tells him, oh, yeah, maybe, or, you know. He's really happy and he, and, about and that. he's really happy about that. So yeah, like definitely their their friendship is a big core of the plot and uh it's really sweet. So I like that like in this kind of moment, he knows her so well that he can kind of explain what she's feeling at such yeah. a young age to kind of understand what your friend is going through to that kind of degree, I thought was um 
a really kind of interesting choice to to have him explain that you know to us you know it's what makes coming of age movies like this some of the more emotional ones when you have 11 12 year olds that are dealing with and explaining these really mature things to each other in ways that actually make sense yeah like when things that happen in these movies happen you know that ends up being the heavy emotional pull of the end of this movie for instance it just crushes you more than most other coming of age movies crush you like that i mean yeah. some you know you you are crushed by maybe the protagonist's funny choice or you know oh we'll learn from this situation eventually but i'm so sad you've made this particular choice right now and that's usually when you know like a 15 16 year old coming of age movie isn't it yeah um but the really because you had this in uh, now and then as well with those girls mate it's you know having really mature things to deal with uh, and trying to get the heads around very big concepts at 12 years old yeah and i like i want to say able to i want to say we did kind of joke about you know the first movie in the series and the last movie in the series kind of taking place uh, around the same time period and being about girl coming of age stories and it's probably because maybe they were written by women who grew yeah. up in this time period so probably that's exactly what, why that's what they know they know growing up in the 60s and 70s uh, and being that age at that time so that's kind of why they told that story so and you know the the, the changes going about in the in the 70s particularly you know in in the u.s in particular kind of culturally yeah and with the way people thought and that kind of stuff um in times of significant cultural switch like that, it takes even more, de you know, kind of thought to to for young children to to deal with these heavy things that everybody goes through anyway at some point. Yeah, but when and you've I... got all this added confusion, it just it, it can build up and and build up, and it is what makes these movies very very interesting for me. Yeah, and I think there's also a, a, a an underlying issue of Veda feeling uh, kind of alone in her feelings because, you know, she does these kinds of attention-grabbing things to kind of get her dad to see her, and he's still kind of in his own days. He's in his own world about it. Um, so she kind of doesn't have anybody who's going to, you know, pay attention to her and kind of see what she needs until... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character comes along. She yeah. uh, she thinks that the the Sultan Fuss Parlor is a beauty parlor, but it's really a funeral home. And so she ap had applied for a makeup job. Um, but once she kind of sees that, uh, you know, even though it, it is a funeral parlor, she still decides to stay um, and kind of endears herself to this family. Um, and she kind of notices things about Veda that, you know, he's maybe not really seeing her. He's not really seeing yeah. the problems. He's writing it off as her just being silly and playing it off. Um, 
And she kind of, she kind of has to, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of has to wake him up to that. Like, you know, you, you deal with the dead on a daily basis. Don't ignore the living. Like she tells him that because um, he kind of seems to put his more, more of his focus into the dead people around him than the living people that are there. But to me, it seems like Dan Aykroyd is that somewhat stereotypical father of a girl character that wants them to stay pre-puberty for their entire life. Yeah, and I think you we know, get more of that from him you know, in just the second of, film. We do. But it's just out of kind of ease and simplicity and we don't have to deal with all the chaos that obviously comes with being a certain age. Yeah, um, and I think maybe That's there's... what Dan Aykroyd is like. But yes, you are right. Jamie Lee Curtis is needed to snap him out of it. Yeah. And I think there is maybe him kind of having this thought that, well, she never knew her mother. So she probably doesn't, it's it doesn't affect her. She just knows that she had a mother. She died, you know, when she was born. Um, So she doesn't feel that loss the way I do. Being someone that knows her, that knew her. Um, so I think maybe he writes off any kind of grief or feeling she would have about her mother as something she probably wouldn't even feel because she didn't know her mother. Um, yeah. So I don't even think he considers that. He is quite good in these movies, to be fair, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, he's obviously he's not in too much of the second one because the second one's Vader takes an L.A. trip and leaves everybody else at home in Pennsylvania. Um. But I, I, I kind of, I very, very much buy him as this kind of dad. Yeah. In these movies, he is very good. Um, I, I, I generally like Dan Aykroyd in things when it, you know, a certain time ago. Um, we, the less said about today's Dan Aykroyd, the better. <laughs> the aliens obsessed uh, Dan Aykroyd, yeah. <laughs> but. From you know mid nineties back, you can't really go wrong no. with Dan Aykroyd. He he's consistently knows what he's doing. He's consistently good. He plays charming, kind of funny, but sweet and very. I suppose mm, I don't know what the right word is. Almost quiet. But yeah, he's very of... simple, but he's also very honest as well. Like, yeah, honest. You know, when Jamie Lee Curtis's character does this kind of makeup on a woman um, who he finds to be very, you know, out there and too much, he doesn't feel afraid to tell her that. Like, he's very upfront no. with her. When she brings up Veda and tries to talk to him about her, he's very upfront at telling her, you know, please don't talk to me about my daughter. You know, he doesn't really sugarcoat things. When Veda's asking him questions, you know, or he's talking to her about the dead people around, he can be kind of pretty straight shooter with her, except when it came to a bit of foreshadowing that we got uh, when a smaller yes. coffin comes in and she asks him, is that for a child and he tells her, Oh no, it's just for a very, very short person. So, you know, there are limits to his kind of being upfront with her. And I think, you know, it, it makes That's, sense well, that in this situation, that protection. yeah, but I think, you know, in 
a situation where your daughter is constantly surrounded by corpses and talking about death and all of these things, it's important to be to to be honest with her about yes, uh, you know where we live and why these things happen to people and all of that. But when it gets to someone around her age, kind of going through that, he doesn't want to even put that thought in her mind. So that's yeah. the one thing he will kind of try to protect her from. But you know, you know, he's not supposed to be a perfect person, is he? Because no. then it would be boring. So it, it makes him more interesting as a character as well. And he's never, even when he's, you know, very straight talking with people, he's never aggressive and abrasive about anything. Yeah. Um, when he... when that ex-husband of Jamie Lee Curtis shows yeah. up to try and steal the caravan away. Yes, I, I liked that kind of bolder version of him. And even when he did snap maybe a little bit at Jamie Lee Curtis when she tried to talk to him about Veda, he did apologize and said, yeah, you know, you know I'm aggressive. sorry. Yeah. And he explains why he kind of had that feeling towards her and all of that. Right. So I, I really did like Dan Aykroyd in, in, in these movies. Jamie Lee Curtis is always going to be enjoyable as far as I'm concerned, apart from the really unflattering hairstyles she was wearing <laughs> in both movies. Well, I mean, it was the time. Jamie Lee Curtis was in movies in the late in the late seventies, I suppose, with normal looking hair. <laughs> I just I, I don't quite know what they did to her. <laughs> I thought some I of her know. outfits were very cute. Um, I, I I was really don't mind the outfit jumpsuit. Um, yeah, I don't mind those. I'm not judging that. I'm just I think it I, was a little bit. It just it just looked odd on Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, I think that plays to her character of being kind of this over the top uh, makeup and hairstylist. Obviously, Possibly. she's you know like this school marm, this deceased school marm that she's doing the hair and makeup for. She's putting blue eyeshadow and bright red lipstick and like styling her hair in this big kind of bouffant. And Dan Ackert has to tell her, you know, she's like, you know, this picture she looks like an old school marm. And he's like, she was an old school marm. Like <laughs> that picture was taken last week at like this church <laughs> carnival. <laughs> so I think it just speaks to her kind of over the top, kind of modernist personality. Yeah. She's younger, she's kind of hipper, and that's kind of she probably does her own hair. So I think that's just a character choice to have her hair kind yeah, of be big. I suppose. I suppose. So, so yeah. I do I do like the kind of um relationship between the 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 new and old that you get with her and Dan Aykroyd though I suppose yeah um she does kind of explain that you know the idea of doing makeup for dead people like was not thrilling to her but when she saw family lived there um yeah she thought you know I don't have a family I'm living without a family maybe you know I could be a part of theirs maybe they'll invite me in for dinner sometimes and so I think kind of having that outlook of kind of this lonelier person um even with kind of an age gap um she has found love in a, a familial way that she didn't have before um so I think that's also kind of what attracts her to to Dan Aykroyd as well and like there's a really sweet scene where she sees him you know their grandmother lives with them and she's kind of going senile yeah. and there's a really sweet scene where she's you know at her desk because she's she also does like reception stuff for them and she hears him playing the tuba for the mom for the for his mom um 
and he's like singing to her. And so, yeah, she definitely sees that, you know, while he is a bit kind of straightforward, straight shooter, kind of serious and simple, he, he does have glimmers. You see that he does care about the people in his life, whether he knows how to kind of always show that or not. So I think that's another thing that kind of attracts her to him as well. Yeah, 100%. And it, I, I just like how it's one of those instances of the 90s movie favorite, the B and C plot that often feels unnecessary, actually working for once in its yeah. entire life, you know, and, and making sense to actually be in the movie it's in. Because, yes, these movies are primarily focused on Vader and the coming of age aspect and, and her, they are played from her point of view but they have this story with Jamie Lee Curtis and Dan Aykroyd and even a little bit with Macaulay Culkin and yes Macaulay Culkin is in the first movie you know linked to Vader's story but he has his own little sea story that's going on with stuff you know he's personally fearful of and he's always allergic to everything and he's kind of having to be protected in that way and has to go home and, and you know here and there when people want to go and do other fun things and yeah and he's getting picked um, on a little bit yeah and, and like we do get but we still get um, enough layers with him that yeah um later when um you know something does happen to little thomas J, uh we feel something when that happens um Very to kind of so to kind of go back to him knowing Veda so well, um, he knows she has this weird relationship with death. And so when they're fishing and the fish is kind of squirming on the hook, she tries to get the fish off and throws it back. And she asks him, oh, did he get away? And he looks and he sees the fish is dead and it's just floating there. And he just tells her, oh yeah, it got away. Like moments like that, I think definitely were important to, to flesh out that character. So I like that each character character um, did kind of get a side kind of uh, moment or little plot point um, to kind of further the story along, even though Beta was kind of the main focus. Yeah. I really did like that first movie. I really did. There's a lot going on in it, but it all seems to work really well. Yeah. And I think even the romance kind of plot point with Dan Aykroyd and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis does play into Veda's story because there is there is this jealousy there. Like she has doing all these things kind of to get her dad's attention. And now he's seeing this woman. And while, you know, on surface, she did she did like her. But now that she's kind of seeing her dad in a romantic sense, there is kind of jealousy there. So they go to the fair and there's this whole bumper cars where she's yeah. just constantly <laughs> coming after Jamie Lee Curtis, which was kind of a funny scene, um, only to get to a point where she does kind of bond with her. She lets Jamie Lee Curtis do her makeup. She does, you know, go through her period and, and she helps yeah. her out with that because her dad is not there. Um, and they do kind of bond uh, over time. So, and um, it, that 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 bond is only heightened in the second movie. Oh yes, definitely. Uh, I I really like their eventual relationship in these movies. I do, and I do think that Dodgem scene is particularly hilarious. <laughs> yes, just constant dead staring. <laughs> I'm yes. going to smash into the back of you in this yeah, very like very dangerous looking Dodgem. She thinks it's all funny games, and then she just realizes she's really coming for me. Like, <laughs> what? 
I love it. I <laughs> yes. love it. But yeah, it's it's it was a very very good movie, very emotional movie. Had the expected things in a female coming of age movie where you're 11, 12 year old in there. Yeah. And they were dealt with very na- very you know, very pleasantly, I suppose. Are we going uh, to get understandably? Into, are we going to yes. get into <laughs> um so yes, at a certain point in the story we do get our big kind of emotional hit. Um there's a day where Veda and Thomas Jerry are playing in the woods. They find a beehive uh, being a little boy, you know, of course he wants to knock it down. He does bees come out as they're throwing rocks at it. Veda does lose her mood ring, which is kind of her her signature favorite thing. Um, and as the bees come flying out, they run away. Um, Thomas J does go back to get her ring. He kind of kicks the beehive because it looks like all the bees have flown away. He finds Veda's ring, but there are still bees. They attack him. And then we learn that Thomas J was deathly allergic to the bee, to the bee stings and he does pass away. So Veda now loses her best friend, the foreshadowing of her dad you know, talking to her about child-sized coffins kind of comes back and hits you. Um, and, you know, Veda lives with death every day, but it's never so close to her like that for, for you know, it's it's right in her home, but it's still never been that close to her. It's, it's um, gotten a little bit too personal. Yeah, She has to try and deal with and she can't deal with. No. So she kind of does break down. She closes off. Um, you know, she runs away. Um, she runs to Mr. Bixler, the teacher she has this crush on. She's been taking it's, his it's summer. Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn, yes. Griffin Dunn from American Werewolf <laughs> in London. Yes. She does. She takes his creative writing class over the summer so she can, like, you know, spend time with him. She runs to his house. And then when she finds out that he is with somebody, you know, yeah. breaks her heart even further. So now she feels completely alone and kind of spirals. Um, Despite the fact he's, you know, a grown man, a fully person. grown mid thirties yes. man, and she's eleven. Yeah, is apparently still an absolute nothing. No, no, as far as Vader's concerned, you don't do that. Yes. Um. So it's just compounding on her. So it's the day of Thomas J's funeral. She ends up kind of just locking herself in her room. Um, the funeral is happening. And then she eventually comes down and she sees him in the coffin and she's talking to him like he's still there and telling him, where's his glasses? He can't see without his glasses. Let's go climb trees, Thomas J. And it's just this very heartbreaking scene. We see his parents seeing her break down like this and they get very emotional as well. Um, just seeing this girl kind of finally like, seeing it and dealing with it and yeah. just kind of having this huge breakdown over it. Um, yeah, sometimes, really you, sometimes you know, you need that kind of heavy emotional moment where it all comes pouring out in yeah. order for it all to actually get out of you. Yeah. And for you to actually deal with it, you need to almost make yourself look totally insane for to it kind to of actually have this, all be okay. Yeah, to have this cathartic experience with it. Yeah, and then I think that's what it is. Um, I think that's also having seeing his daughter go through this loss of her best friend is also kind of what snaps Dan Aykroyd out of this kind of, oh, it's just a phase with Veda. She's just being silly. And where kind of Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, impl- imparts it on him that like you need to pay attention. Like, look what's yeah. going on with her. 
Um, and he kind of realizes in that moment that he needs to be doing more. He needs to um, see how she's been affected. Um, and then I like that, you know, over the summer, Veda has been taking this creative writing class with like all these adults. And, you know, she's writing these poems about ice cream and kind of not understanding the the, the deepness that uh, Griffin Dunn's Mr. Bixler is trying to get these writers to go for um, until she does kind of show up at the end of the class. And she wrote this poem about Thomas J. Um, and, you know, you do see that she kind of, now understands the emotion that he was talking about kind yeah. of looking into your soul and those kinds of things um and it's part of the coming of age she's she's it is, been through this experience absolutely a thing and she's growing um as a writer as you know a young girl becoming a woman um all of those things are happening to her after this kind of big moment in her life. Uh, so that's, I like that they, I like that they kind of illustrated that with her kind of coming back to this adult class that she kind of yeah. didn't seem to understand the concept of. And now she comes back at the end to this class and she, she reads this really, really beautiful, heartfelt, sentimental poem um, that shows a lot of thought that shows the creativity in her writing and her, how her mind is kind of developing in more mature ways. Um, and that's how they illustrate kind of her going into that next phase of adulthood. So yes, I that, that's that how they is, illustrated that. That is the most coming of age element to this movie is this. You've got these mature subjects on you all the time, but your understanding of them is what we get by the end of the movie. Yeah. Your honest, emotional, intelligent understanding of them is what we get by the end of the movie. That is the coming of age. And that is something that everybody goes through. Everybody, to a certain degree, in certain different circumstances. But, the, and that's the, that's the whole point of that writing class, isn't it? She doesn't understand the depth that Griffin Dunn wants them to go through because she hasn't had experiences that 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 bring that out in somebody. Yeah. Which, so, you know, so, everybody yeah. does have at some point. And until you have that, you can't speak to that. And you can't understand, understand that it. Yeah. until you've gone through that. And this can be anything. This can be absolutely anything, certain people have very little experiences throughout their entire life, but they can speak to those. Certain people have many, many varied, wacky experiences, and they can speak to much more things. Yeah. So it's 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 all about taking the experiences we have and thinking for a significant period of time and in detail about them in order to fully understand them and understand why certain things or why we may have done certain things in certain ways yeah and if we understand that no matter what the thing is that's okay as long as we understand why and you know how it's made us how it's made us feel and all that kind of stuff yeah and how we can kind that's of the most important that. thing yeah yeah so, that's yeah. and that's that's what this movie's telling us. That's what that first movie is telling us. Yeah. And I really appreciated it for that. Yeah. Applause so. for my girl. Yay. Yay. 
but definitely, yeah, I, I do agree that I do prefer this to the second one. But I felt like like it did feel very episodic. Like the second one was it definitely, did. you know, a couple years. Maybe she, I think she's maybe like 14, 13, 14 now. Um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is pregnant uh, with her baby brother. So now it's another kind of phase of being a big sister. You know, they're asking her to give up her room because her room is closer to the parents. And so just kind of things like that. Um, in school with her friend, you know, um, kind of talking to her about a boy having a potential crush on her and all of these things, just kind of really going into that next phase of being a teenager. Griffin um, Dunn's not in the equation. No, he is, he's he away. Is not. He's, <laughs> he, gone. he's gone away. Um, so she is tasked to write a paper about like someone you never met who has had a great accomplishment. And so she wants to do on her mother. She's never met her mother. Um, she wants to get to know like what her life was, if she has had a great accomplishment. Um, so and she, then ends she up... turns into Ted off of how I met your mother. Yeah. And goes on this whole journey. And goes to on the maddening journey to try and find that out. No, that's not what she does. <laughs> it's a little bit what she does. Yeah. Um, so we do get kind of a fish out of water, a change of scenery type storyline. Uh, her uncle, Dan Aykroyd's brother, who we did meet in the first movie, he has now moved since moved to LA, um, is living with a woman and her son and working in her mechanic shop. And uh, she goes to LA to stay with him and do some research on her mother. She found she has a little box of like playbills and uh, different things from her mother. So she knows her, you know, her mother grew up in LA. She spent time there. She went to high school there. Um, so this whole second movie is about her going to research her mother and it's figure an out who she was. Yes. So she kind of goes on this, this fun little adventure to discover her mother. Um, so yeah, this one definitely does not pack as much as an, of an emotional punch. We do get a little bit at, at the end, but uh, for the most part, bit. it's, it, it's, it's just more of a bit of a kind of adventure story for her. It's, it's, it's still a coming of age movie in the mm -hmm. sense that we are learning more about ourselves. You know, we are, like it's like like we said, it's a it's a research investigation almost into her yeah. mother, somebody she holds in a certain light simply because she knows very little about her. Yeah. Once we learn in more detail about her mother, and once she learns more in more detail about her mother, I'm saying we a lot because this can happen in this sort of stuff happens in real life. Yeah, you know we can hold certain people in certain things, but then when other things come out about them, it changes our perception at the time. Yeah, but then we take all those and we put them all together, and we create the image in our head of the full person, and then we judge. Yeah, and then we decide who that per is. That person a good person? Is that person a bad person? In our own opinions, in our yes. own mind, in our own hearts. Yes, so she does Rather kind of... Rather than just being a... Because nobody's perfect and nobody's utterly evil. Maybe three people yeah. in history are utterly evil. So we do kind of see her trying to impress other kids in school when they say you're doing a report on your mother. Um, you know, she does kind of make up these crazy stories about her mom being a spy and all yeah. of these things. And they're like, that is so much bullshit. It's not true. And she's like, well, it could be true. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> so when she does kind of learn about her mom and her getting, getting in trouble for smoking and things like that... Um, 
you know, she does kind of see this rebellious side of her mother. And like you said, it's kind of, uh, as you learn things, like you could have this idealized idea of somebody um, not having the full picture. But I like that she does kind of discover that her mom was kind of rebellious. She was kind of a wild child. Um, So there were flaws there. Yeah. It's, at the time, can be disappointing. But then, like with the first movie, when we sit and think about everything for a little while, we realize that, no, that's just, that just makes her a full human. She was never a full human to me until this trip this I moment. took to LA. Yeah, and you know, discovered these things about her. Discovered the real person from these real people who knew her personally, including, by the way, Janine, one of my weirdest favorite character actors showed up in My Girl to Aubrey Morris. Who was that? Who played the old British poet. Oh, yeah. Who's okay. in The Wicker Man and oh. The Orange. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, like he's one of her favorite poets. And then it's kind of, she has like a never meet your heroes moment with him that he yeah. just kind of is just very. Um, disheartened and kind of sad and you know doesn't really see his brilliance and you know kind of discourages her to becoming a writer and things like that so she does kind of get a never meet your heroes moment with uh a writer that she looked up to and who her mother studied with in school and all of these things very old in this yes oh by the way so she does very old (laughs) yeah oh my i don't I, i don't know how maddeningly familiar what you are with the wicker man like i am janine i believe um, you made me watch the wicker man once and i did enjoy it oh. but not to the degree of remembering who that is aubrey was. morris plays <laughs> the guy in the graveyard of the church uh, okay who tells sergeant how he basically like oh, we don't do anything in this church anymore look at this person's um I think it's placenta that we've placed on a tree on their grave. Yeah. And he freaks him out a little bit, but he says it in the most delightful (laughs) Scottish accent. Yes. But he also also is the um, parole officer that spits on Malcolm McDowell's face in Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange, okay. Okay. That's him as well. well I'm glad you got a, a, a little nod to a character actor that you enjoy. Um, I do enjoy, I do enjoy, I do like him. He's very good. Yes. So we do get some moments where, um, you know, she kind of walks into this whole journey with a plan. She's like, I'm going to go to her school. I'm going to find her yearbook. And, you know, I have just a couple days to figure this out. And then, you know, that whole plan goes to shit when she finds out the high school's been burned down and she actually has to do yeah. some work. And then she kind of runs into some, you know, negative things like the stuff with this poet and... Um, ben you know, Stein's in the movie. Yes. So she does kind of hit some roadblocks here and there. Um, but ultimately, uh, discover some really interesting things. And people, like, just have nothing but wonderful things to say about her. And then she kind of discovers that, you know there was this man that her mom was married to and yeah. then she questions that has her kind of questioning everything and being really nervous her dad has never heard of this man um but it was a man she her questions her nose shape at some at one yeah point. so she's like is this man really my dad like what is going on here um 
so yeah, by the end, she does go meet this man and he tells her he's kind of the key to everything. So she's kind of gotten nuggets here and there from people about her mother. Um, And then she kind of gets the full story from this man. Um, One of the things that was in the box of her mother's things was just this brown paper bag that had a date written on it. So uh, she was trying to figure out everyone she asked didn't know what that was. Um, and then ultimately he tells her the story that, you know, they were all about like actor life and, and doing plays. And so they just kind of went to, to New York to be these great play actors and, you know, they had no money, but they wanted to get married. Uh, so they got married outside in the snow and their, you know, wedding dinner was a bag of roasted chestnuts. And, uh, that was the bag that they came in and they, they had no camera. So she just wrote the date and said that that was their wedding album. so just a very like sweet story about her mother. And then, you know, she's like, do you have any pictures of her? And he shows her like these film reels of her singing and performing. And, um, you know, so I love that kind of, you know, we heard about her mother and how that kind of affected her in the first movie. Um, and then just kind of seeing her hit roadblocks and kind of go on this whole journey in this movie to for that to all kind of culminate in her actually getting to see her in this way. Um, And like, I loved the moment where, you know, in, in the video, her mom's singing and she's like twirling her hair. And then that's, that you realize that's something she does, something that she got from her mother. Um, So yeah, we get a really great sentimental moment at the end where she finally actually gets to see her mother. Um, I mean, sentimentality is what coming of age movies is all about. Yeah. So she does learn that, um, him and her mother broke up because she wanted to have children. She wanted to have a family and he didn't. So then that kind of makes her realize that, you know, the whole point of this essay is to talk about someone's greatest accomplishment. And so then she realized that she is her mother's greatest accomplishment because it was something she always wanted was to have a child. It's a very selfish thing to think. (laughs) Yes. And I do like at the end where she's kind of like, and it will make it sound conceited, but I am my mother's (laughs) greatest accomplishment, which I mean, makes sense. And I appreciate them acknowledging how it could sound, but you kind of get behind that idea because yeah, they do set up that she, that this is something she always wanted. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's got worthwhile stuff in it. Yeah, and she it's does have her not... own little. <laughs> she does have her own little romance as well. Um, she, we, yeah, that kid. Um, he's got nothing on Macaulay <laughs> Culkin as far as male co-stars go. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I don't know who he is. Um. Well, when I make make you watch the last action hero at some point, you'll know who he is. Well, possibly, but still. I, he was just a li- he was just a bit too samey for me. Yeah, that guy. When you surround when when this movie is kind of you're peppered with these extended cameos of you know good actors: Aubrey Morris, Ben Stein, <laughs> Beulah Beulah playing the sassiest photographer you've ever seen. That was quite entertaining. A thingy but... Tony Tony from. West Side Story is in this movie. He plays one of the guys that oh. she goes and sees. Peter. Oh, okay. Um, um, he his name is Austin O'Brien. Um, Austin. Yeah, he. So I think he was he did a couple of things around this time that made him kind of the guy, I guess. It wasn't Macaulay <laughs> Culkin though, was he? 
No, he was not. Macaulay Culkin from 1990 to 1995 was unstoppable, Ginny. Yes. Um, so Austin O'Brien, he tried, but um, yeah. He failed. <laughs> he failed in your eyes, apparently. He failed in my eyes because he can't, he can't keep up with Macaulay Culkin. Well, he's not trying to be Macaulay Culkin. He is, though. He's not. He's trying to replace Macaulay Culkin. He's not trying to replace him. My go-to. Well, what do you want from him? Macaulay Culkin is dead in my girl's No, he was fine. He was fine. He was fine. Okay, he should have just risen up out of his coffin and come to, come to LA with him. No, no, Macaulay Culkin wasn't fine. Macaulay Culkin was dead. I'm talking about this <laughs> Austin dude. He was, he was okay. He was just nothing... nothing... <laughs> emotionally special like Macaulay Culkin was. Well, it was enough for Veda to, to to be excited about. So he kind of does show her around the town and takes her around the city. He is the son of the woman that her uncle is dating. Um, I recognized her as well, but then I realized it, it was somebody else totally. Uh, but she looks like her. Okay. It was a British actor I was thinking of. Oh. Who, who is in no way that same that same person yeah no um so yeah she does kind of strike up a bit of a romance with nick um the austin o'brien character um by the end of the film um but yeah i i definitely not as much going on uh you know character wise i think no in the second one it's like just kind said. of the next phase of veda's life and yeah. Um, you know, she comes home. She's a big sister to a little brother now. Um, you know, the, the, she's, the she's had this experience. Minutes, yeah. The last 10, 15 minutes where she goes and meets that, you know, her, her mom's ex-husband and then goes back home to meet the new baby is very good. Yeah. And it's, it's exactly the kind of emotional stuff you 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 want and you expect in this movie having watched the first movie it's just, just the rest of it the actual discovering or trying to discover things about her mother like it's understandable it's just not really coming of age and therefore just doesn't feel i mean it's still necessary obviously but it doesn't feel I don't know. It, it doesn't feel dramatic enough for some reason. Yeah, no, you know I, what I, mean? I get that. Yeah, it feels very kind of simple compared to kind of the complex compared things the we were looking one. at in the first one. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think I think if it hadn't, if it was a movie on its own, I would be less harsh on what was going on. It's still a good movie. It's still a well-made movie. Yeah, but after kind of movie. knowing and endearing yourself to these characters and sitting them with them for one kind of uh, emotionally packed movie to kind of go to the next one where not much is really going on with them in the same vein uh, yeah. seems a little less interesting. So I, I, I get exactly. that. I get that. Exactly. Um, but the ending is, you know, the last 15 minutes is... is Exactly what I expect. Yeah, it's pretty impactful. Very impactful. Applause for the My Girl movies. They're both Yay. very good. They're both very good. It's just I, I, I would, I would watch the first one. I'm just not sure I would feel the need to watch the second one. Okay, I get that. But applause to them. 
And applause to our coming of age series. Very much so. Very much so. Are we doing a ranking, Janine? If you would like. I'm going. Uh, bottom to top, top to bottom. Bottom to top. Are we counting My Girl and My Girl 2 as separate movies? Yes, we can do that. So bottom to top. Yes. So My Girl 2. Mm-hmm. Um, th then it gets tougher. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> top is now and then. True. That's your, that's your top, Top's really? Then, then okay. way, way back. Okay. And then I can't pick between those other two. School ties in my girl. School ties in my girl. Probably. Probably my girl because school ties just didn't feel too much like a coming of age movie okay. to me as opposed to just a college discrimination drama. <laughs> okay. Which is what it was. It, but it was a different type of coming of age movie, wasn't it? With significantly older people than we were dealing with for for the other movies yes so that's just why it felt kind of different it's still a good movie i still enjoyed that movie and seeing you know people be ter matt damon be terrible yeah and peak brendan fraser yes so i wanted to give you two guy ones and two girl ones otherwise i would have probably picked something else that fit a little bit better but they were difficult finding like male ones that weren't super popular that you hadn't already seen. So yeah, you could have picked something super popular. No, you probably would have seen, seen it. it. Like what? Well, not necessarily. Name one. Love Simon. No, I've not seen Love Simon. What? So I go. thought you'd seen it. No, I never saw that movie. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, well, I'll put that in the back pocket for another series, okay? There you go. People are going to be <laughs> mad at me now, aren't they? Well, have you not seen Love, Sire? Because I was too busy, probably watching, I don't know, Haunted Palace for the 84th time. <laughs> the Wicker Man, that's what I was watching probably, instead. Probably, yeah. That's the kind of movies I watch. Not that there's anything wrong with Love, Simon. Again, to be fair, Love, Simon's a movie that would interest me because it's specific, isn't it? It's a more specific kind of story. It's yes. not just same boring person. There's specific things we are dealing okay. with in Love, Simon. Well, definitely we'll put that in the back pocket for a later series. I think we should, I think we should do some sort of like LGBT series. Yeah. I, I like that idea. Throw Love, Simon in that. Okay. I mean, not to like pigeonhole Love, Simon into you're <laughs> just an LGBT movie. That's only that's the only thing you are. But it just fits into a category. Yes. And we like categorizing series that Morgan hasn't seen. Exactly. So, yeah, definitely I will look into doing that series. That's probably, sure. a, that's probably a realm of movies I would like to get a bit better in. Okay. So... I've I've got my base, but I would I, I want to get into that next sort of depth tier. Okay. When it comes to that. that kind of stuff. All right. Just out of interest, just out of interest, and expanding one's movie watching because yes. that's what we enjoy doing. 
But applause for my girls. Yay. Yay. And applause for the coming of age series. Janine, are you getting prepared? I am getting prepared. This is for a tough what? one. This is a tough one to kind of decide what's coming next. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm going to kind of keep it simple and go back to my roots. Your roots? <laughs> um, of... I mean more than one thing, though. <laughs> I think my my base roots are in rom-coms. Um nice. and I feel like I feel like, you know, with you know, Die Hard, there was this phase of, you know, Die Hard but different veins of it. So Die Hard on a plane, Die Hard on a train, and Die Hard on a boat. I think rom-coms kind of went through the same kind of thing where on a submarine. You had your basic rom-coms with the same kind of typical tropes, but they tried to throw a wild kind of high concept in there with them so we're going to do some wacky high concept unorthodox rom-coms for this next series <laughs> what was the last rom-com series we did because it was only about three series ago didn't wasn't it when we were doing like keeping the faith and that stuff so that was faith-based comedies that was was that faith-based comedies yes or is it just because most every movie we do on Morgan hasn't seen <laughs> has being some a rom romantic rom comedy element to it at some degree? Yes, I'm obsessed. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, wacky unorthodox rom-coms then is what we'll call the series. Yes. Do we have the movies set? Uh, I believe so. Are so... we checking there is the correct number of wednesdays the, in a given the, month there are four wednesdays in august okay so the four films we will be discussing are serendipity John milk Cusack. money <laughs> yes uh kate beckinsale, kate beckinsale. Um, milk money ed milk harris, money ed harris and melanie griffith milk uh, what's that about money for the milk man it's not about a milk man is it it's about it's not about a milk man definitely not um about someone who sorry <laughs> safety not guaranteed i've heard of that what i've heard of that what's what's safety not guaranteed i've heard of it come on aubrey plaza mark because it's recent that's plaza. why i like aubrey plaza and it could happen to you what could Bridget Fonda and uh, Nick Cage? Oh, Nick Cage is doing well for himself these days. I'm hearing good things about that pig movie. Yes, that I might actually go and see. Is it A24? Uh, A24, perhaps. Oh no, the first cow that's A24. I feel like that pig movie's got to be A24. It's the most A24 looking movie. <laughs> Perhaps it is. I'll only see it if it's A24 because I'm an A24 shill, as some people like to say. Yes. Um, some people do like to call me that. <laughs> An A24 shill. Although I heard A24 was selling themselves off. Uh, I disagree so well, with them though. doing that. Yeah. To, to bigger corporations. Stay on your own. You do well enough, surely. You've got your own. You'll end up being generic, and we don't want that. That's why people like you, A24. Anyway, anyway, Janine, there we go. We have our next series set, I think, don't we? 
We do. Lovely stuff. Well, this has been Morgan Hasn't Seen, the Coming of Age series. We've been talking My Girl and My Girl 2 today. We'll be back next week with the wacky, unorthodox rom-coms and serendipity. Yes. Which I'm not quite sure what the word actually means. Oh, you'll learn. I probably will because it's probably what the whole movie's about. Yes. These are movies that you may be like, how's Morgan not seen this? But I've already explained that. It's because I watch old movies. And that's also why we have It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, <laughs> on this podcast feed, where we celebrate old movies and we love them and we discover new ones. Yay. Some mainstream ones and some slightly more in you know kind of behind the radar off the radar what's the phrase those ones you know (laughs) yes this week on it's a wonderful podcast the main show on friday we're back janine us two discussing billy wilder's witness for the prosecution we like that Morgan's first time watching that. So there's another one. Oh, I'm going to get pelters. <laughs> I'm going to get absolute pelters. But this is the show you are listening to now. It's every Wednesday. Morgan hasn't seen it. It's a wonderful podcast, the main show every Friday. And of course, Machine Mondays every Monday with yourself, Janine. Uh-huh. And old Schmo Down Talk. Always fun time. On Machine Mondays, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and all the other places. We have the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon, if you are feeling particularly generous and would like to go and support us over there. Patreon.com slash It's a Wonderful One. We have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel as well to go and like, subscribe, do your notifications over there. And check out what we uh, what we have going on there as well. At it's a wonderful one on Twitter for the show. You can find me on Twitter at the purple dawn with the three instead of the e in the because Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at the purple dawn and all your wonderful stuff is where. You can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram. And if you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find all of that at my Public shop at G9Design on tpublic.com. There we go. That's going to do it. Janine, I'm going to get you to sing My Girl by The Temptations to see us out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so are you doing that now? In fact, should we both do it? But it won't be in sync. Sure. Okay. Where, where are we starting? Right At the before... start? No. No. <laughs> I, I guess, guess you, you say, say what can, can make me feel, feel this way? way. This is really out of sync. It's, it's beautiful. My girl, my girl, my girl, my girl. My girl, my girl. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs>